Well, good morning. Uh, this time of year is usually kind of a, a dead week for me. It's, um, it's after Christmas, of course, we've celebrated Christmas and we've had all the events related to Christmas and the new year isn't here yet. And so there seems to be this week in between that's kind of dead and I love it because it's during this particular week that I often reflect on the past. I consider the things that have happened during the past year, different things I was happy about, things I was not so happy about, but also I begin thinking in terms of the new year and asking the question, what needs to change? Now, I believe that God has set up in some ways our entire calendar to reflect this idea that every day is a new day, every week's a new week. Every morning you wake up and the sun is out, and in the Old Testament it talks about the fact that his loving kindness is new every day. I love that, that after the darkness of the night, a new day is born, and regardless of what happened the day before, every day is a brand new day. And every week is the same. We have another start, a brand new start with a new week. And then every month is the same. In fact, the Jewish calendar was often tied to the monthly calendar with the full moon and that type of thing. And then, of course, every year. And I just think we have opportunities all the time to see just the freshness and the newness of what God may want to do in and through our lives in some ways to forget what is in the past, as Paul said, and pressing on to what lies ahead because our lives can change. Now, oftentimes I think we go through life and we go through life reactively. Things happen to us and we just respond, but I think it's much better to be proactive, to be thinking in terms of what is it that God wants me to be doing? What choices should I be making? And I think some of the time, what is required for that to take place is to have what I would call the examined life. But we just stop and we evaluate, where am I and, and what am I happy about? What am I not happy about? And so some of the questions I ask myself during this, this dead week, almost every year, are questions like, what am I doing well? In other words, where am I succeeding? As maybe a father, as a, as a husband, as an employee even, where, where are things going well? Where am I falling short? What are some habits that I need to get rid of because they're not helping? They may not be helping me physically or they may not be helping me spiritually or they may not be helping me relationally. What are some areas that need to change? What habits should I add to my life that could make a difference? What changes do I wanna make for the new year? Because this is, I think, an opportunity for us to kind of have a new start. Now, I'm not exactly talking here about New Year's resolutions. I know that people make resolutions and they don't last very long. Many times, a week or two, or maybe after a month, most resolutions don't continue. No, I'm talking about just kind of grabbing life and deciding, making decisions, and, and just heading down a course. Even if you fail along the way, you get back up and you say, this is what I've decided that I'd like to start doing. Now, as I was reflecting on this past year, I realized it was a fairly eventful year. On the positive side, I've enjoyed traveling. I, I love to travel. Travel. I'm thankful my wife does too. And so I was in 
places like Chicago and Minneapolis and San Francisco, but the highlight was Scotland and Iceland, and our whole family got to go there. It's enjoyable. I love the fact that I could go to this cabin that my wife and I bought very cheaply. I've been going there and doing writing, and so one of the encouraging things is I'm almost done with this book uh, that I've been writing related to the gospel message and just getting it right. I think it would have been done had I not had this medical episode, and there, of course, were negative things that happened this past year, including that. Although I view that as the grace of God that, that I even went to the doctor in the first place. I still have probably a month of recovery there. Even around that incident, though, things happened. About three days before my stomach started bothering me, someone knocked on the door of our house from the water company. They said, You're, you've got a water leak and you've lost 30,000 gallons of water. It's just pouring out. And then they told us what it was gonna cost. We ended up having to dig five feet down right under the driveway. This happened right before my medical thing. And then after, I got home from the hospital about two days later. One of our kids had to go to the emergency room and I thought, boy, this, is, this isn't gonna be a very fun Christmas. But a lot of things happened this year. My uh, dog had to be put to sleep, one of the saddest days of my life. I turned 60 this year. That's a time to begin reflecting on what went well, what didn't, what do you want things to be like in the days ahead. But today I want to talk about just making some choices, some changes, asking the question, where, where does my life need to change? And being very proactive about it and not just taking life as it comes along, making decisions today that will impact your life tomorrow. They can be decisions related to health, for example. They could be decisions that are made related to relationships, which I think is huge. Asking questions, part of the reason that my wife and I have traveled more is that we're bringing our family. We've decided we want to spend more money on being together as a family than on things. It's just a decision that we made. Your relationship with God is huge. Serving. You know, we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you know, we're to invest the gifts and abilities we have to serve Christ, not just ourselves. And of course, as as Arch was talking about earlier, getting connected with other believers. All these are decisions that we could make that would impact our year. Well, today I want to focus on a story from the Old Testament. I think it's a story that many of you are familiar with. It's a story of some young men who were faced with a very, very difficult situation. In fact, their lives would never be the same after what they faced. And yet, they decided ahead of time that they were going to do certain things. And I believe that that decision ahead of time is really what saved them in the years that would follow, is deciding ahead of time. The story is found in Daniel chapter 1, if you haven't guessed, and I think we can learn from their example. The year that the story takes place is about 605 B.C., so it's about 600 years before Jesus was born. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, descended upon Jerusalem, and what was left really of Israel was the city of Jerusalem, a few other small towns. He invaded Jerusalem, he broke through the city, defeated the king there, whose name was Jehoiakim. He went into the temple and he took for himself the treasures from the temple, not everything. He left a few things behind so that they could still do worship of God, but he took a bunch of it back with him, and then he did something else that was very strategic. He decided to take back with him some of the children 
of the nobles and the officials. He brought back with him some of the children of the kings of Israel, descendants of David. Most likely the ones that were taken were descendants of Zedekiah. This is according to Josephus, who lived during the time of Christ. Some of Zedekiah's kids and others of the royal family were carted off to Babylon, which is where this story begins. Now, why did the king of Babylon do that? It was insurance. Because now Jerusalem was going to be under the control of Babylon. They put a puppet king in place, and they wanted to make sure that the Israelites behaved. So they basically said, we're taking your kids with us. If you don't do what's right, your kids are going to suffer. And so I think it was insurance. And that's where we pick up the story. Beginning in Daniel 1, beginning in verse 1, we read, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Among them from the descendants of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them other names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Now let's stop for a moment, but the Babylonians were, were notorious about assimilating people into their culture. The idea was to remove all hints of where you came from. And so, of course, the first thing was to cart them off to Babylon in the first place, hundreds of miles away. I think it was about 700 miles. It would have taken months to get there. But then they took these young men and they, they really were trying to remove anything about their Jewishness. And so they wanted to feed them the food of the Babylonians. They were going to teach them the, the wisdom of the Babylonians and the religion of the Babylonians. On some occasions, we know from the book of Daniel, they were going to require that they bow before the gods of the Babylonians. And they even changed these guys' names. Because these four Jewish guys that are mentioned in the book of Daniel all had names that related to the God of Israel, all four of them. God is part of all of their names. And so the king of Babylon wanted to remove all of that, get rid of their God, get rid of their food, get rid of their clothes, get rid of their language, get rid of their everything. And he gave them new names. According to a scholar by the name of Daniel Archer, Daniel's new name probably meant Bel protect his life. Bel was one of their gods. Hananiah was called Shadrach, most likely signifying command of a coup, which was their moon god. Mishael received the name Meshach, which seems to represent or mean who is what a coup is. It was actually a play on his Hebrew name, <clears throat> which meant who is what God is. And so they kind of took his name and twisted it a little bit and 
and put the god Aku there, and then Azariah's name was changed to Abednego, which meant servant of Nebo. And by changing their names, they hoped that they would drop everything related to their past. Now, most of the captives went along with all these changes, presumably. But these first four were not willing to. Now, one thing to understand about these guys is, too, that they were young. The word that's used, Hebrew word that's used to describe their age as young men was a word that described youths that were usually between the ages of 12 and 14. So if you're thinking of Daniel being about 30 years old, he was probably 12 to 14. He might have been as old as 15. A scholar by the name of Daniel Montgomery notes, according to Plato, the education of Persian youths began in their 14th year and it is reasonable to assume that the Babylonians commenced the training of young people at about the same age as the Persians. Daniel then would likely have been about 14 or 15 years of age when he was taken into captivity and began his training. Nebuchadnezzar wanted boys at a teachable age so that they would be able and willing to learn new things. Basically, he wanted to indoctrinate them. Now, I don't know what you would have done in that situation. You think about it for a moment, but if you were carted off to a foreign land as a slave, basically, and you were put in these circumstances, and so you were at their mercy for your food and for your clothing, and they had their plan for your life, I, I think I'd be tempted to just go with the flow. I'd be tempted to think, well, this is my, my lot in life. By the way, I think their future was a little bit of a desperate one because some scholars believe that they actually were made to be eunuchs. Now, if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. But the guy that was in charge of them was actually his official title was the guy in charge of the eunuchs. These guys lost their entire future and many people would have maybe given up when that happened and thought, well, there's just nothing I can do and just gone with the flow, try to make the best of a bad situation. But these guys were not willing to compromise. In verse 8, we pick up the story. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. He decided ahead of time. He and his three friends all decided ahead of time, we're not going to eat the food or drink the wine of the king. Now, what I want to suggest here today is, my takeaway is decide ahead of time to do what you need to do. But my thought is this, that we're not very good about deciding on the spur of the moment to do things we should do. I, don't, I just don't think we are. I think when we plan ahead, when we decide ahead of time, there's a much greater likelihood that we'll do what we decide to do. Let me give you an example. Uh, one of the things I was more pleased with than displeased with on my last year was that I got a little more exercise than I had the previous year. And I tend to go to the gym on Monday afternoons is one of the days that I tend to go to the gym. Monday is my typically longest day. It's a 12-hour day for me Mondays, kind of like an eight-to-eight -eight type thing, but then I go to the gym in the afternoon, so it's only like a 10-hour day. I have learned, though, on Sunday night, I get my gym bag ready, I get my clothes out, I get my towel, and I prepare to work out the next day. And I have found that when I do that, on Sunday night, I decide Monday I'm gonna work out, that I work out almost 100% of the time. It just gets done. 
But when I wait till Monday and decide, well, I'll decide this afternoon if I want to go work out, how many of you think I actually make it to the gym? It's like, I've got all kinds of reasons why on a Monday afternoon during the lunch hour or whenever I go, I have all kinds of reasons why I'm not gonna do it. I feel tired, it's a long day, I don't feel like going to the gym, I'll just go on Wednesday or whatever else. I come up with all kinds of reasons not to do it, but when I've decided ahead of time, that's what I'm suggesting here. They decided before they faced the difficult situation, they decided ahead of time what they were gonna do about it. And therefore, they were ready. Now, I think they would have been sideswiped had they not thought about it. The food would have been presented. They'd say, I don't know what to do. They would have felt obligated to eat and they would have ended up compromising their faith. But they planned ahead of time. Let's keep reading, beginning again with verse eight. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. God granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official, yet he said to Daniel, my Lord, the king assigned your food and drink. I'm afraid of what would happen if he saw your faces looking thinner than those of the other young men your age. You would endanger my life with the king so Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and de deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This was a big sacrifice they were making. Again, of course, they could have had excuses for eating the king's food. What choice do we have? This is the situa situation we're in. Now, what was wrong with eating the king's food? After all, the king's food was the best food in the land. I mean, if you want the best of the best, it's the food that was part of the palace, the food that was given to the king. So why did they have a trouble with this? Well, there were three problems with the food or the wine. The first problem was that some of the food was not biblical. It was counter to the Old Testament law. Some foods they were not allowed to eat according to the law that was given to Moses in the Old Testament. For example, shellfish. They were not allowed to eat lobster or shrimp, or they weren't allowed to eat pork. And so some of the foods themselves would have been unclean. Uh, but there was another problem with it. The way the food was prepared may not have been prepared according to the way God said to do it. Specifically, when they ate from an animal, they were to drain all of the blood from the animal. The Jewish law indicated you're not allowed to eat blood or drink blood from an animal. So they were required to, to pour that out. When I was about 13, there was a Jewish woman that lived across the street from us. She used to love to go to the grocery store and buy all of the T-bones and porterhouse steaks in the entire display. She'd fill up an entire cart, cart with these, these steaks and then she lived alone, she was a widow, so she'd invite us over for steak, which was really nice. But she used to put the steak in the sink and soak it for hours because she was trying to follow the Old Testament law. 
to get rid of all the blood. And so they knew this could be a challenge, but the third reason why this was an issue, especially probably related to the wine, which in and of itself may not have been unclean, was the fact that all their food and wine had been presented to the gods at the temple. The best of the best was presented to the temple and then brought into the palace. And so you'd be eating food that was sacrificed idols. So these guys decided they couldn't do it. Now you think for a moment again, they didn't have a lot of choices. And I think that their friends from the royal household and other people that were, were brought along with them all compromised. And so I can imagine what that was like when Daniel decided and his friends that they weren't gonna eat the king's food I bet you the friends got mad, like, you have to eat the king's food and don't make trouble for us. You're gonna make it really difficult for us. And they probably tried to keep them from, from doing what they had in their heart to do. But Daniel decided and his friends decided. And the way they approached it was incredibly wise. They went to the, the person in charge and came up with a win-win solution, just test us for 10 days and then do what you think is right. And so for 10 days they eat just the vegetables and water, which to me would be another sacrifice. They're deciding, I mean, I like vegetables and water, but it would get kind of old forever, maybe. I don't know. But they made their decision. And I think that God blessed them for it. I think verse 17 of Daniel 1 is because of verses 1 through 16. In verse 17, we read, God gave these four young knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. I think God blessed them for this choice, this decision. This wasn't, by the way, the only decision they had to make. We don't know all the different decisions they made, but we, knew there are, we know there are other ones from the book of Daniel. For example, Daniel was told he's not allowed to pray later on in the book, that the enemies of Daniel came up with a plan where the king would make a law that no one could pray to anybody, any person or God except him. And Daniel knew then the law said You're, you, you can't pray to the God of Israel, but he chose to do it anyway. I don't think he was flaunting the law. He just was living according to his convictions. But he opened the window to the east and he prayed and was immediately arrested and thrown into the lion's den, but he refused to compromise. On another occasion, these young men, and we don't know where Daniel was at the time, but they were commanded to bow down before this huge idol that the king had made. It was massive, and they refused to do it. And they were thrown into a fiery furnace and Jesus himself, I think, became present with them in that situation. The point I'm trying to make though is that these guys were thinking ahead and they would have had every excuse to compromise in all kinds of ways, but they said, I'm not gonna do that. And they made choices and God blessed them. And I wanna encourage us to follow their example. I wanna encourage us to make decisions to decide what are we gonna do? And how are we going to change in this coming year to make some kind of commitment? The Bible is filled with examples of people who made decisions and choices like this ahead of time. I think of Joshua just before they entered the promised land. It was the, the brand new start for everything. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're gonna follow the Lord. And they decided this is what we're going to do. This is what our life is gonna be like. We're gonna follow the law 
of, of Moses to the T, this is, this is how we're gonna find what our, define what our life is like, and he decided ahead of time. David, on many occasions, made decisions ahead of time, choosing the right thing to do. Job was someone who made decisions ahead of time. For example, it talks about in the book of Job how Job even made a commitment with his eyes, he said, not to look upon a virgin, to, to lust. He, Job, we're talking about the Old Testament. He made a decision, I'm not gonna go there. And in other ways, Job made decisions about helping people and being fair and loving people. He made decisions about how he lived his life. He made a decision to pray for his children regularly. Job is a tremendous example for us to follow. You've got Joseph who refused to give in to the temptation of Potiphar's wife. He decided ahead of time what he was gonna do. And of course, Jesus himself was the best example of this because every day I think he woke up saying, Father, here I am, what is it today? And we read that he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem when it was time to go to the cross. He decided ahead of time. He didn't wrestle this thing out on the, on the Mount Calvary there, on Gethsemane when he was crying out to God. That's not where the real battle, I think, took place. He decided before he knelt down to pray what he was gonna do. This is not what I want, the cross, but I choose your way and not mine. He decided ahead of time because, again, I think in the very midst of it, it's easy to make the wrong decision to choose poorly. So what are some areas in which we can change? Well, to me, the most important thing, and it's what we're about as a church, is to lead people into a growing relationship with God and others. I don't think there's anything more important than our relationship with God and our relationships with other people. And so a lot of the things in, that I want to grow in and change in, a lot of the things that end up on my to-do list are things related to my relationship with God and my relationships with others. In terms of your relationship with God, here are some ideas. One is just decide again, you're going to start reading your Bible regularly. And again, you don't have to do any of this every single day. This is where I think people get thrown off. They, they skip a day or two and then they think, well, I blew it. I stick with it. I'll, I read my Bible probably just personally besides any study, probably five days a week, but a couple of the days I'm studying or something else and I'm not, I'm not concerned about it, but I get to know the God of the Bible when I read the Bible. Maybe memorizing verses, I do that regularly even now. Commit certain verses from the Bible that are life-changing and encouraging, praying. Actually, including prayer in our, our calendar, our schedule. I'm going to be a person of prayer. I'd love for this to become a church of prayer, serving. Decide, well, I'm going to start using the gifts and talents God has given me to serve God and other people or staying connected with other people. All these things can help our relationship with God, and there are others as well. Uh, your relationship with others. With me, it starts with a family, a date night with my wife. We're just gonna spend time together every week, connecting. I wanna make sure I don't let that go in time with our family. We do a lot of family get-togethers and co-workers and, and your community group and neighbors or other relationships. I just encourage you to think through those relationships and what can happen, what needs to happen. Are there any changes that could take place? Some things are beyond your control, but other things aren't. And then I think of even my personal life, taking care of this body exercise, things like that, shedding any bad habits that are not helpful, adopting any positive ones. I have personal goals about writing, personal goals about reading. I like to read a lot. 
and the list can go on and on. The point isn't to give you your list, but I encourage you to have that mindset to say, what do I need to be doing? What needs to change? Just don't coast through life. We can make decisions today that will impact, I think, the rest of our lives. Now, I wanna mention two things in closing. One is, uh, for some of you, maybe the step you need to take with the new year is to put your trust in Jesus, and maybe you've never done that. But I'm convinced that the way we get right with God, the way we become children of God, the way we can know for sure we're going to heaven when we die is to put our trust in God's Son, Jesus, to be our Savior, because He came into this world to die in our place and for everything you and I have done wrong. He paid the price for you so that God could extend forgiveness to you and me as a free gift. But it requires putting our trust in Him. Whoever believes in Him, whoever puts their trust in Him, will have eternal life. And so the death of Christ paid the price for you. The resurrection of Christ proved that God accepted the payment on your behalf, but the requirement God is looking for is faith. Whoever receives Jesus to those who believe in his name, God gives the privilege to become his children. And then the last thing I wanna mention is next week we begin a new series titled The More You Know, and it's a series about getting to know God. I love starting the new year oftentimes in this vein because I believe that if we really understand what God is like and we get to know God, it will impact everything else in our lives. That oftentimes the things we get wrong are that we, we don't know God. And so we view him as, for example, a judge or maybe a grandfather. We have wrong ideas that impact how we live out our faith. But what if we really saw God properly through the lens of his word and what God has revealed about himself to us? So that's what the next series will be about, starting next week with uh, proving why I believe anyway Jesus, or God exists at all. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for the example of these young men who... Um, we're willing to stand up for what they believed and we're willing to trust you and be different. And even though their whole world was shaken and ruined in a sense, they had you. And with you present with them, they could navigate everything. And I just think how you did bless them, how you did use them and how you accomplished so many good things through their lives. We wanna be ones, O oh Lord, who make good decisions and choose you and, and choose relationships. and become what you want us to be by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.